0: And you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. It is December 28th, Thursday, if you are not tracking the days like most people have been over the last week or so. Happy Christmas to anybody who is listening or watching on YouTube. Hope you had a good one and hope the new year treats you well as well. And I would say like most people listening to this podcast, whether you have a good New Year's Eve is going to depend on the result on Saturday morning between Celtic and Rangers. It's going to be the game that's going to decide whether Celtic have tossed off that eight-point lead that they had, and give Rangers a chance to go top of the table in the new year because they have a couple of games in hand. Alan Morrison, Celtic fan numbers.
1: Hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Hope everyone is well. Um, yeah, just a bit, <laughs> a bit, f- a bit full and jaded, but we're, we're working it out. Hit the hit the gym this morning, so feeling a little bit better. <laughs> and Jico james as well have you gained
0: how many stone over the last couple of days
2: uh stone what is that like 14 pounds or oh something? shit i forgot pounds. you just don't
0: use the uh come here come on yeah. you, you,
2: you guys with your ancient metrics throwing rocks around for your weight i don't know <laughs> uh I, I would say so i i've gone through a, a seasonal disaster this year that where american thanksgiving i put on well first of all i went to this the finger lakes and which is a Lake region in New York where they, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, horrible things like wine and, uh, breweries and distilleries all over the place. So it was a week of gluttony. I went up there and then with American Thanksgiving shortly thereafter, it's been a complete debacle. So yeah, probably about a stone in, uh, even fatter than usual from October until now. So we're waiting anxiously to, to violate my new year's resolution once again in about a week here.
0: Mm-hmm. making all these promises that we're not going to keep in about a week and a half time. So looking forward to that one. But uh, before we look forward to the Celtic Rangers game that's coming up this Saturday, we want to look back to a 3-0 victory over Dundee um, on Stevens Day, Boxing Day for you in the UK. Um, this was a 1-0 victory that was really, you know, buffed up by two late Mikey Johnson goals off the bench but we're going to celebrate the 3-0 victory nonetheless. Uh, this game, James, was stodgy, slow, um, but utterly dominant, really. Like, there there can't be anybody who came away from that game thinking it was a bad performance by any measurement from Celtic. They had 38 shots in total, I think. An XG of over 2.10 to, like, 0.3, I think, was the final showing for Dundee. So like this was not a situation where Celtic were anyway worried by Dundee. It was just a matter of really not taking the chances. I think on another day, Celtic could have potentially scored three in the first half alone. So as victories going into Derby's go, it was one that was fairly injury-free, depending on Cameron Carter-Vickers' form uh, this week, and just a relatively straightforward one, nothing to worry about essentially, which is good in my opinion.
2: It was like Muhammad Ali's performance against George Foreman in the epic Rope-A-Dope, only instead of Muhammad Ali, it was me fighting George Foreman and playing the Rope-A-Dope role, and so the, the talent level and the uh, ability to execute on it was just not there, but they did Rope-A-Dope. I mean, that, that, they sat back, and this was evident. And is evident in their profile as far as how they've been playing this year. They're actually the deepest lying defensive team in the league, uh, despite their kind of relative ascension, even a, being a promoted side. So they've they've you know been relatively effective playing this way against most of the league and dominating really on set pieces. And I think we did a very good job in kind of combating their aerial bombardments. Actually, I think that was the standout for for the game for us meaning that we that's not something that we always uh are able to handle all that effectively and they shelled us consistently <laughs> into our our left left back area as as many teams are apt to do and i I thought we did a really good job and yeah it's it's difficult with the bombardment of you know, and I, I think that's the theme of the game bombardment. So theirs was high balls to our defensive left side. And we were just bombarding their box with 38 shots because they sat deep. And, um, you know, th- that that creates a, a bit of a messy game. It's really tough to create quality chances when a team's bunkered that much in that central. And that that's a distinction between what Livingston did and what Uh, Dundee did is that Livingston went that kind of flat six at the back and were very wide in engaging us. Whereas uh, Dundee wasn't quite as wide and were giving us that kind of outer wing area and packing centrally, which I actually think is more effective. And I think Livingston's approach was pretty naive and dopey. Um, I'm not sure why you would engage our wingers that far out towards the touchline, but so, because it just creates central space opportunities. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> I thought their their game plan, and this was my fear going into the game, which was that their game plan could be one of these just really annoying nil-nil type of games if they got a good performance out of their keeper. And fortunately, Carson's pretty awful. And um, that distribution of awful uh, helped us in this game. I and mean, he had two, you know, two goals he conceded that were pretty, pretty poor. Uh, so that... That even within the context of thirty-eight shots, I mean, if you really look at it, it was Kyogo's chance as the really high-quality one, and pretty much wasn't anything else uh, as far as high quality. So mm. that that's you know, so that's what, it was a formula where I was worried, but fortunately Carson had a howler, and um, we basically I thought excelled in defending uh, the, the, the aerial ball, which which made it a much easier game from a defensive perspective than I was worried about.
0: Yeah, it it definitely seems itself to have worked on set pieces over the last couple of weeks since Brendan Rodgers actually mourned the quality of our attacking and defensive uh, uh, quality from that sort of uh, play in the in the game from set pieces defending the man attacking them, and um, in in terms of the chances, Alan, I would say like in the first half alone, in my head on another day, Kyogo takes the one. Um, where he's played through by Matt O'Reilly very early on. He just misses narrowly. There's a header from Palma at the back post, which you would say, you know, a better player, potentially, you would without wanting to go back there, you would say Jota probably would have scored the header at the back post there. And then there was the Liam Scales header from the corner that went narrowly wide. Like on a different day, all three of those hit the back of the net and it looks like a much more comfortable game from a Celtic perspective where, the, where you're 3-0 up at halftime, you sort of cruise to the end. Um, but in terms of the domination from Celtic, was there anything that stood out to you as something that was really positive firstly?
1: <laughs> well, I, th- I think it became clear, clearer. Um, we've talked about you know Celtic's attacking cohesion or, or perhaps lack of and, and wondering what it is that they're actually trying to do. And I think... Because of the way Dundee set up, it it was actually very obvious. Not only because Celtic had so much of the ball and did so much attacking, the attacking, um, the attacking plan, if you like, when I put it that way, kind of became more obvious, uh, really. And as, as James said, they were happy to let the wingers have the ball one on one, which I think is what Rogers has been trying to do all season. And then it's really up to the to the winger to to conjure up some magic and then, you know, get something uh, into the box. And that's quite different to the last couple of seasons where it was more about getting the eight the fullback and the winger to to bang, gang up on the wide midfielder and the defender and, and create overloads and triangles and, and, and angles and, and options. Um, this is it's almost a little bit more kind of old school football in that, you know, a lot of diagonals, to get the winger on the ball early, one on one. So, so uh, again, listen. It looks like in general there is a good news story in that you know Celtic are actually increasing their xG per game. They're creating more chances. Um, in fact, the the xG differential is trending upwards. I mean, it dipped badly at the end of last season, and now it's towards sort of you know less than 1.5 differential. And now it's trending nearer 2 again, which is great news. Um, but you know, as James has pointed out previously, the key metric to sort of temper that really is the XG per shot. So it's the average shot quality is worryingly low. And why is it low? Well, I think we're relying on when the wingers do get the ball wide they kind of thrash it across the box in general. Now we know that Maeda—it's it really the ball could end up anywhere when he attempts a cross. And Palmer is—if he gets past the player—is going to be um, on if he's on his left foot. It's really just a hit and hope into the box. If he's on his right foot, it, it's going to be um, almost a cross come shot. And uh, you know, as with the goal for Kyogo, it can be um, pretty effective. But it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, last season, it was more about using those three players to create overloads to get into a position where, where one of those three would be in the box deep and be able to cut balls back low and hard. And then, you know, that we saw the classic Kyogo goal or the classic Abada and Jota tapping at the back post kind of thing. And we're not seeing as much of that. We're seeing a lot more headers. and We're seeing a lot more um, hit, trying to hit Kyogo early, uh, hit Maeda early, because obviously if you get the ball to Maida out wide um, and he's not facing the goal, he's going to pass it straight back every single time, right? And even if you do give him the ball out wide and the defenders within two yards of him, he's going to do nothing with it. So unless you don't get the ball to him in space to run at, and he doesn't have to change direction or do anything fancy like that, therefore control the ball in any way, it's, it's pretty much redundant as a winger, I would I would argue. So we're relying on our wingers to, 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 to be one-on-one. One of them simply isn't a player that can play that way. And the other one is quite slow. And when he gets it on his left foot, it's pretty much a thrash into the box. So that means then that when we do get the ball in the box, we're generating lower quality crosses. And then the other thing is we're generally we're generally getting one less player in the box. I'm oversimplifying massively here, but last season there was a big onus, essentially... So when Celtic had the ball, it was a 2-3-5 was, was, was really the kind of shape with five players attack, the two eights, the wide players, and get as many of them into the box, depending on where the ball was. If, you're not, if the ball's not on your side, you're attacking part of the box. And when we generally we try to get five players in the box, sometimes more. We're, we're, the, the number of touches in the box has gone down this season. It's only about, been about three. Matt, Matt O'Reilly's touches in the box has, go, has gone up astronomically and it looks like it, the onus is on him. To be the player that breaks into the box all the time. And the, and the second midfielder, whether it's Bernardo, Holm, whoever, uh, just isn't doing that as much. So it's a combination of many things here. It's never one thing. But the net result of all that is A, that we're not, I don't think we're utilizing our resources correctly. B, we're not being as clinical and as careful in the final third. C, we're not getting as many players in the box. And all of that, is adding up to a lower chance quality. A lot more headers. A lot more. We're trying a lot more earlier passes, which are difficult, and not many of them are coming off because because they're so hard. You know, and, and this is this is kind of against the myth that under, that under Rogers we're desperately slow in build up. Sometimes we're really quick in build up because we bang it early. So, um and that that's kind of mixed in terms of whether it comes off or not. So, take all these things together. You know, there is there is definitely. Green shoots thereof. The overall trends are improving, but I'm still concerned that a that our, our our tactical setup with the wide players isn't right, and b that I would like to see us go back to being a bit more clinical in the final third, a bit more careful in how we build up, and really measure balls into the box to really get the best out of Kyogo.
0: Yeah, I do wonder one thing about the wing play is why Pama always starts on the left hand side because. The way that Celtic are playing with their wingers, it would make more sense for Palma to be on the right-hand side because he is so right-foot dominant. And what you're seeing a lot on the left-hand side is him cutting in and trying to have a shot or, like you say, the cross-come shot um, and hoping that somebody gets a foot on it to make it deflect in the opposite direction. And it, it just seems really ineffective. And I do think he would be more effective on the right wing, but that potentially could be down to the fact that Rodgers is looking to get his fullbacks further forward and on the overlap now, and uh, certainly seeing that with Greg Taylor, seeing it a little bit more with Alistair Johnson now as well, but yeah, it, there, there does seem to be just that missing link in the, the front. And James, when we do get the ball into good positions, there is that just lack of quality. I'm not going to use that word again. I would say more, um, You know, just being clinical with the chances, maybe it's down to confidence, maybe it's down to game plan. I'm not sure. But in terms of the quality of chances we're creating, is it, in your opinion, that maybe it's just we're creating less quality chances in terms of like the XG numbers?
2: I think that the distribution of the chances is of low quality as well, meaning that we're, we're getting a decent amount of really, really high quality. Like we saw against Dundee with, and again, for, for people listening and watching, I think the XG on that Kyogo um, opportunity was something like 0.75, something like that. So, you know, in the neighborhood of a penalty shot. So that, that's an extremely high XG opportunity. And we are getting some of those, a a decent number of those, but, a lot of the chances we're getting are kind of in the, you know, 5% to 10% range. And, and, uh, the weekend was very much in that regard. I mean, we had a ton of like six, seven, eight, nine type of XG opportunities, which again, th- those tend to be ones, for example, and this is where stats bombs, a bit of a differentiator where you have, um, and the model accounts for, where defenders are positioned and where the keeper is positioned, so you're you're going to be able to ascertain the quality of the shot relative to you know if there's two or three defenders lined up. Which again, in a game like uh, against Dundee, where they were so centrally packed, that's a huge difference. If there's two or three defenders in the line of sight for the shot, so because you obviously you get deflections, you get blocks, that type of thing. So I, I think. You know the the average quality, even the distribution of it's not great, and uh, for all the reasons that Alan talked about, I think there's an, a, a material aspect of this as far as quality of players, given the injuries and the composition of of the team versus the the required or intended style of play. You know, I, I think um, you know there's there's a lot of talk about the striker position and. You know, Kyogo's just not getting, as Alan said, the type of finishes that he has thrived on, those kind of low cutbacks. So he's being left to try and create and have some of these through balls when they do work. Which, just by definition, they're not going to work that often because it's a really hard thing to play those kind of direct uh, vertical passes over the top to to beat um, a defense. The timing has to be right for offsides and... The, that the touch the control the space say all of that stuff I mean it's a, it's a difficult thing to pull off so if you think about that from a again from a stat nerd perspective the probability of that can be quite lumpy you know just, just our luck we'll get like three of them in one game when we win seven nil and then not see it again for you know uh, a, a week or two or a month or two and that that's you know the issue about these averages versus kind of the sequencing and the the distribution. So that that's the other thing that's concerning me is the distribution of quality, e- even above and beyond the uh, the average quality. Because if you if you look at the average quality, we we've basically rever that's what made Angeball Ball so uh, weaponized domestically. Is that. You know, we've we've basically come back to what our kind of typical average chance quality has been in p- past seasons, where that's 1920, which again we had overwhelming talent. I mean, it was a really talented team. Uh, even the 1819 team. You know, the last time Rodgers was was here, we're, we're we're basically right back in line with those. So we've come back from the the Ange Ball peak, but. Uh, again, it's the distribution that has me um, as concerned as as anything else.
0: Mm. Let's talk about the lineup then, because there was a few interesting parts to it in relation to the game coming up this weekend. So that's sort of where we'll we'll shift over to what's coming up this this weekend. Um, we saw Cameron Vickers taken off for an injury. Now Brendan Rodgers has said that. Um, he is. He has a tight hamstring. He didn't say that it was pulled. He just said, we'll see how it goes this week. We'll probably have an update on that tomorrow or today, depending on when his press conference is before the Rangers game. Um, there was Paulo Bernardo, who's now good enough to play in the SPFL, having uh, starred in the Champions League. And uh, Dyson Maida came in at uh, right wing as well. So we're looking at a couple of changes. Uh, we have an update on Hitate, who is back uh, training with the team and Lee Labada who is back training as well who's uh, Bren Rogers said is doing really well in training as well so we've got some interesting uh, things to look at in terms of the starting lineup. one thing that should be noted is that Stephen Welsh came on for Carmen Carter Vickers and that neither Lager Bielka nor Navroski were anywhere near the team so it seems that Stephen Welsh is now the third choice centre-back um, after Cameron vickers and Liam Scales, which I don't think anybody would have predicted having Celtic signed two centre-backs for uh, three and four million uh, between them. So uh, we'll start with the centre-back option, uh, Alan. We've spoken about Stephen Welsh before. He actually, you no, know, it's it would be sort of apt if Stephen Welsh did come into this game if Cameron Carter-Vickers wasn't fit for it, uh, given that he was tossed into a Rangers game in one of his, I think it might have been his first game or second game for Celtic, at the time did really well, or did as well as you would you would hope a young player would in no circumstances. So if Cameron Carter-Vickers isn't fully fit, do you put a, say, 70% Cameron Carter-Vickers on the pitch to begin with, with lame Scales, or do you go with a fully fit Stephen Welsh?
1: <laughs> so we're back to this issue of injury management again. Um, so you know, apparently, of all the injuries that we had uh, in the summer, and you know, Hatati Abada, um there's a few more. I think it was quite long, long-term ones. The Carter Vickers one was apparently the worst. So in terms of you know the grade of, of hamstring tear, and you know, I, it looks to me. And again, I've not really dug into the data, to be fair, but it it looks to me like he's kind of a little bit hampered. He's not quite at full speed. Um, Again, I'm just saying that as an an opinion, as I said, of the data to back that up. Um, I thought he was actually being superb the last two games, absolutely brilliant, back to sort of near his his kind of best. Um, But clearly, you know, this isn't the second time now that I think he's had to be taken off, is it? Um, This is still being managed, as they say. So managed means that you're taking risks with the player. Um, you know, the old pros will often tell you no player's ever 100% fit. That may well be true. Um, but, you know, you want them to at least be sort of 90 plus, perhaps. And, uh, you know, if he's less than that, then, you know, the size of the risk increases. And with that severity of injury, you are kind of playing with people's careers a little bit in that sense. So um, it's a worry. Um, it would be a big blow, obviously, if he didn't play because he is so important to Celtic. He is the best defender, he's a very calm uh, and his level of performance, as I say, doesn't really waver depending on which of the cavalcade of other centre-backs is kind of next to him. So, um, yeah, it would be massive, but on the other hand, we're back to, you know, we shouldn't be taking chances with this guy's career if he's going to break down in a game with a hamstring strain, that's that's on the club. You know, I mean, the player will always say that he wants to play, That's that's not the issue, he's not a medical expert that decision should be taken out of his hands almost. So, um, yeah, from a, from a performance perspective, obviously it's much better if he does play. But again, I, I would hate to think that we're, we're taking chances with him, really, in terms of his long-term fitness.
0: In terms of what it does to the team, James, we've spoken about Stephen Welsh before in depth. So what we're losing from Cameron Carr vickers is clearly a dominant centre-back in in every sort of aspect of the play. What we're gaining from Stephen Welsh is distribution, you would say. He's a very good distributor of the ball, but we're losing some real high quality in terms of the aerial battle. Is that something that matters against against Rangers, having looked at the way that they play um, and what they would try to exploit from Stephen Welsh? Is that something that would worry you, that we would be losing that aerial, or would what we were gaining in distribution – sort of how do you weigh those two up
2: I think that the in in this matchup so this is the issue with all of our our center back mixes is you're kind of choosing which deficiencies to um, embrace or to tolerate I guess and specifically against Rangers I think it is problematic relative to set pieces in particular Uh, as, as we showed on the weekend I think we're okay, and you know, defending those because we're so used to it. <laughs> defending these kind of um, high balls, and and Rangers are not, um, and, and even under Colmont, I mean, I think he's changed how they play a little bit, but they're not, um, they're, they're they're not above going direct. I mean, they still, particularly with Goldson, and um, even uh, you know, Suter, if he plays, I think Goldson came out injured. Uh, last weekend as well. So I don't know, I haven't kept tracks or or tabs on what his availability is going to be, or whether there's still a question on his fitness. But even Suter, you know, is pretty good at, at playing those kind of long high balls. So I'm more worried about that relative to set pieces. I think the other issue, and this is probably more problematic, is, and Alan and I have spoken, I think, pretty frequently over the last few years about uh, Welsh profiling is kind of a right center back in a back three <clears throat> because of that distribution, his ability to carry the ball, he's relatively quick uh, for for a center back. Um, but the challenge is that he's not the greatest in kind of one v one defending face up. So as, as a dribbler coming at him, the the data is pretty uh, um, you know not great. Let's put it that way, and. Uh, that's where I worry more so from a Rangers perspective, whether it's Cantwell coming from the midfield or Seema uh, cutting in. And and Sima's dreadful on the ball, by the way. But uh, you know, if he's able to get it past somebody like Welsh, for example, he's going to blow by him. Mat- Matan does the same way. I mean, he's absolutely dreadful on the ball, but extremely fast. Uh, speed that we just don't simply have on our our team in general. Uh, let alone at the at the center back position. So if they're able to get into those channels and get beyond basically the ball, and that's the issue, is that you're you're going to have gaps of space with Hart because of his athleticism issues and quickness issues. And then you know if the ball gets into anywhere in that space behind our center backs, these guys can run on and probably beat us for pace. And then you know it, it's an issue. So. That that it's that one v one dribbling at Welsh that I'm more concerned about, and I think um, you know the the this is the challenge as Alan said. Is there's the there's the stacking of risks of playing Carter Vickers if there's whatever the probability is of him having a longer term uh, revisiting of a hamstring issue. I mean, if it's another if he's out for two months again or something like that. I mean, given the Asian Cup and players missing and integrating new players, I mean, that, again, would be stacking risks on top of each one another heading into January and and February. But the other risk is, you know, in fairness to Carter Vickers, playing with a hamstring injury of whatever grade, his lateral quickness is going to be stressed as well. I mean, that's literally the thing that's going to give out or be problematic with hamstring or muscle industry or uh, industry is that kind of fast twitch you know uh explosion so you know healthy carter vickers is going to be materially better in that regard i would argue than welsh but you know injured carter vickers uh that that could be an issue so that th- those are the kind of uh th- th- those are the big challenges i see coming into this game because it it really is a 1v1 athleticism issue because rangers are not and we'll probably get into this more when we talk about data profiles but they are not a creative team they they are not a team that's going to you know play intricate four or five six passes and carve you open through the midfield i mean it can happen obviously but on a tendency basis that's you know that's not a a risk that i think is um, material it's more so they're just you know kind of big and fast and athletic uh, and can win some of those 1v1 battles. Uh, so that that's you know my concern heading into the game.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds like we're almost back to like the mid-2000s because of what I'm about to say, but the way that if I was in charge of Rangers, what I would do is I would get Dessers and say stick to Lame Scales and sort of try to bully him a little bit and exploit the, the left-hand flank of Celtics defense with Greg Taylor getting forward and not having the athleticism to get back, Tavernier busting down that right wing, getting runners from the midfield. And that's sort of, worryingly enough, that's sort of the way that they play. Um, And on that, Alan, I mentioned Paulo Bernardo. One thing that you took from his Champions League data was how good he is off the ball. That's sort of where he was thriving, at least against better opposition. Is that the role that you would see him playing this weekend then, is he is he something that Celtic can actually use to their advantage that, yes, there might be a little bit of exploitation down the left-hand side of Celtic's defence, but Bernardo will be there to patch up some of the holes left in the midfield to stop Kant well busting forward or um, anyone else getting through the midfield so easily for Celtic.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've been playing pretty much two holding midfield players in every game, which partly explains their excellent defensive record. I mean, playing two holding midfielders players against the quality of the rest of the SPFL is a little bit overkill, in my view, but you're not, probably not going to concede many goals, to be fair. Um, and as James says, it, for them, it's more about getting the ball wide and, and as early as possible, really, banging in crosses uh, and from quite deep positions sometimes, because, again, Seema, uh, as well as being very quick, is a big guy, right? So, you know, having him challenging for headers at the back post and or challenging for headers at the edge of the box is is, is not a bad thing. Um so it's going to be interesting. I mean Celtic generally will have more control. I mean they 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 have average over 100 passes more than Rangers per game. So um so, and and actually what I've noticed in the last few games is I think the fullbacks are inverting to a massive degree. Uh, you know, the last few games we've seen Johnson pick up the ball almost from Taylor in the inside inside left position and vice versa. Taylor has been playing sometimes as a, as a third uh, or fourth midfielder. So I think we'll look to dominate that midfield. And I think we will dominate that midfield, depending on who they play in there. I mean, Lind- Lindstrom's a good defensive player. He's not creative and he's, he's not particularly mobile. So I think we'll look to try and exploit that. Uh, Bernardo has got good athleticism. He's get good at getting around the pitch, like you say. He's, he's pressing, counter-pressing is very good. It's almost at sort of Matt O'Reilly and then Maeda sort of levels. He's kind of third, I would say, in the in the, in the group at that. So I think that'll be an, that'll be important because uh, you probably don't want, as you say, Goldson and Souter to be playing, you know, long 50-yard breaking passes to the flanks, which they're very good at. Um, and, and, you know, I think then we've got a conundrum in terms of, do you actually switch the wingers as you talked about earlier? Because Maeda has, you know, generally does a good job on Tavernier to stop him uh, Advancing, atvan he, he's their most creative player <laughs> let's be let's be honest about it he's easily their most creative player and uh and then you know let palma deal with uh, whoever it is i don't know if i don't know if barasić is injured as yilmaz has been playing but you'd imagine that you know you'd, you'd fancy that i'd fancy that match up to be honest with you and uh, i think mali is more comfortable on the left he's 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 often played in that um Kind of, you know, left into out sort of second, almost like a more a stri- second striker than a winger. So I, I, I don't think we'll do that because I think we would have done it by now if we were going to do that. But to me, that would be that would be optimal to swap them round. Um, I would definitely play Bernardo in this game. I think he's the only thing about him is just he he has less pack passes than Joe Hart. <laughs> like he averages just over just over one a game. Him, you know, the, the three players with the lowest pack passing scores are Joe Hart, who's the goalkeeper, Kiogo, who might complete three passes a game, of which one might be a, a pack pass, and then Bernardo. It's almost, it's almost deliberate. It almost looks like he doesn't, he just refuses to pass the ball forward. It's really weird. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. As somebody who, clearly from his data, playing for Portuguese age group international level football, is a you know gets a. Bundle of goals and assists, he doesn't pass the ball forward. It's just the most bizarre thing. And, 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 and you know, maybe if he gets a run in the team, that will see that confidence and we'll see that kind of start to uh, develop. But that's the one aspect that we're just not seeing. And again, it's another reason I think why we're, um, you know, a little bit down on, on chance qualities that we haven't had that second midfielder beside O'Reilly that's giving that creativity. Uh, boost to the to the side, but for his off the ball, um, I think he's definitely worth it. I mean, my my overall feeling on this game is that I think if they get if they get a point, if they get a point out of this, they'll they'll then gamble that they can win the two games in hand and then be point ahead. And then next they're playing Celtic at Ibrox, so I, I think I think they'll be pretty conservative. So I think Celtic will yeah. have a lot of the ball.
0: Okay, well let's dive into some of the data between the two sides because i mean i've seen a, a little bit of them in europe and a few of their games that were on sky but i can't admit, i admit that i haven't seen much of them at all this season um i've actually seen more games that they've lost because i've saw that they were losing and switched it on uh, for a bit of a laugh but um in terms of how the two teams uh, play and how the the uh, the quality of the two teams James... um Let's park Mickey Beale and just concentrate on uh, the the Claremont because, as we know now, Mickey Bill is is flying with Sunderland after his uh, first game in charge. So we'll we'll talk about Claremont and Rangers since then. So I one thing that most people have been following, I think, that's been interesting is the x uh, x point x, expected points table that. Rangers uh, report have been doing on Twitter and it's actually fluctuated the odd time it's gone from, you know, Rangers being ahead and then Celtic being ahead and everyone losing their minds over the fact that uh, they just can't wrap their head around the whole expected points idea. But uh, the updated one is that Rangers are ahead on the expected points table uh, with 89.16 points to Celtics 87 points. So that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen, okay? But that is what... The data is seeing that could that is the most likely outcome based upon the team's two form in the last couple of games that's that's essentially all it's saying that based on the form of the last couple of games, this is the expected points that the two teams are expected to get so Rangers lead at the minute having Celtic been in in the lead just about two and a half weeks ago. so how much credence do you give the expected points table? Um, and how much does that line up with the data that you've been looking at?
2: For, for me, it's like anything else. We, and Alan and I talk about this all the time. It's a tool to be used and um, it can be part of a more robust analytical process. It's not something that I think is, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always skeptical of uh, what, they, what they call ex-post, which is, you know, data mining the past. To use that to project the future, I'm always kind of skeptical of that in, in a uh, in a linear sense. Meaning that it, it can work for a period of time, and then it falls apart horribly. That kind of thing, uh, and and that's um, kind of my my experience. And I think history suggests, particularly when you're talking about things that are this complicated. Um, so I i, I think what, what it's reflecting, and I, I don't under, I don't know that. Uh, The guy's model, I I kind of can intuit some of it, but I think what his model is likely picking up on is the uh, amount that Celtic have been conceding. I mean, if you have two teams that have the same XG differential, if one of them is conceding higher amounts – even though the differential is the same, the way that's going to probabilistically work out if you run, you know, like Monte Carlo simulations and all these kind of regression analysis that, that tend to be the foundation of these kind of models is you're going to end up with a higher probability for the team that's conceding fewer chances. It's just going to skew things because of um, the way the math works. And so I, 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 that's likely what the model is picking up. I think the the interesting part about all of this is as Alan was saying, kind of directionally, whether or not there's uh material improvement for Celtic uh, whether or not there are going to there's going to be material improvement relative to players returning and and coming back to fitness uh, i I think the the problem with that hope and the expectation is Rangers I mean again i a lot of Celtic fans may not be aware of it, but in just kind of tracking them, they've had probably a bigger injury crisis than Celtic have in the past, you know, six weeks. I mean, they're they're playing Sterling in midfield, and I would guess he's probably going to start in midfield on Saturday, and uh, you know, big, athletic, fast, quick guy, but he's a he's a, a defender. <laughs> he's not a, a midfielder. He's, he hasn't played. Uh, midfield and at the senior level prior to this, so yeah,
0: uh, but, he played left you know, back against celtic in the first game
2: and I think they p- kind of signed him as a right back slash almost like a right center back i mean he's he's a fairly robust person there. You know, he's not you know he's not like ridvan uh, a little person <laughs> or or greg Taylor you know greg Taylor and R- Ridvan are kind of the same in in stature whereas uh, sterling's more along the you know kind of bassy um even bearsage size you know decent sized guy so, you know, Safuentes is probably out. Jack's out. Um, uh, you know, you get down the list. Of, I mean, their midfield's been decimated. Their forwards have been decimated. So, I, I, I think, um, you know, statistically speaking, there is a lot of trends here. A lot of volatility around how this all might shake out in the coming months. Throw in the a, a January transfer window and what both teams might do. So I, I I just I take these kind of models. I think again, they're an instrument of of gauging where things are, understanding what how the model's likely constructed. It's not something that I'm all that worked up about. What I think is more problematic is that since Clement came in, we're basically and, and the model would suggest this, that, that what's been showing it's basically like coin flip. Like we're we're legit in coin flip territory. And I think that alone is an indictment on uh where Celtic are at I mean I I think if most things go right here we're probably still in a coin flip situation for the league and to me that's you know uh a failure of of football operations and and so that that's even if we recruit a couple of starting level players and because again I think uh you're gonna just have randomness that goes in there I think they've got uh over the duration of the rest of the league, I think they have a material advantage at the keeper position. And I suspect that's not going to be addressed, uh, by Celtic. And that's a big, that's a big deal. I mean, when you're talking about dropping points in some of these, you know, horrible winter away fixtures, (laughs) and you get into January and February, uh, you know, the, the possibilities of nil, nil, or one, one type of draws and dropping points. I think that just because of, um, the, the disparity in keeper play, I think that you know skews in their favor. So, yeah, I, I think that's the big thing for me is that we've almost surrendered um, control of of mm. the league campaign. I mean, that we we can do most things right now and still lose the league, and that that's um, not not only problematic. I mean, it's a little scary. That, that's when you when you when you lose your your own determination to a degree, that that becomes. A, a, a bit alarming.
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's there's two parts to that. It's almost the fact that Celtic were at a position of strength having won a treble, and then a further position of strength having gone eight points t- ahead, and now all of a sudden... It's sort of 50-50 chance whether or not they're going to win this league or not. And um, Alan, you pointed out at the start of the season how important this league campaign is because of the Champions League money that comes with it. And um, it is vitally important that Celtic do win this league and win the title. But in in terms of this game coming up uh, this weekend, I mean, we mentioned the expected points situation. Those who are frequent listeners or watchers to our show will understand the the jargon that we're talking here about xg and the xg differential but just a a slight explainer of what we're talking about here is that the each shot has a quality that's measured by xg and then the xg differential is how much xg do you create versus how much do you concede so what is celtic's xg differential standing at at the minute
1: it so it, it was kind of it kind of dipped below 1.5 at the beginning of the season which is getting into territory where you know luck and other factors can play an overwhelming influence whereas if you get it to sort of one seven five to 2 and 2 and above which is kind of where it's trending now um you you've almost removed some of the risk in terms of you know the keeper having an amazing number of saves and and uh, and so on and so forth so i think you know, both clubs actually are are underperforming their XG. We talked about why that is with Celtic. I think it's to do with um, we're not optimally set up to create the best quality chances. We've got an elite finisher in Kyogo, but we're not giving him the tools to finish the chances that he he normally thrives on and has done for the last two years. Uh, whereas uh, over at Ibrox, I think, you know, their recruitment, especially in the forward areas, was just very poor and they recruited poor players, frankly. You know, the likes of Dessers, Lammers. I mean, sema has been a success, but his, his kind of expected scoring contribution, that's XG plus expected. This isn't particularly high for a, a player in a dominant side that plays in the position he does. And as James says, it's, it's pretty random what happens when he gets the ball. Um, but, you know, like in kids' football, <laughs> And the SPFL can sometimes be like kids' football. Size and pace counts for a lot, right? So he kind of kind of gets gets away with that a little bit. Um, where they have been kind of impressive is, as James says, is in uh, is in um, reducing the other other team's xG, and I think that's a lot. Well, <laughs> some of it some of it's to do with uh, the fact that you're never going to give away a penalty that kind of helps to suppress the xG a little bit. But also, as I say, they play, they play you know two two holding midfielders in front of in front of the back four, which is kind of belts and braces, I would argue at, at this level. Um, but but I would say that on the plus side, Celtic's uh, XG differential is trending upwards, or XG against is trending downwards. James has pointed out that whereas last season goalkeepers performed horribly against Celtic, they're now performing generally really well. Now that's something that can that's something that can change game to game very, very dramatically. I mean, you know, I know Butland's had a lot of praise, but if you look at Butland, he's he's a he's a bit like first season Joe Hart. He's kind of on zero OBV for goalkeepers it like he's doing his job. And he's just doing his job. He's not like adding a lot of value. He's not costing them anything. Whereas Joe Hart is now a little bit below that. And that's that, that differential could swing the balance in a tight game, maybe, or over a over a period. So I think Celtic, you know, if you look at the data, I think Celtic are trending in the right direction, are becoming more cohesive, do have more impactful players to come back. I mean, if you chucked Sefuentes and Jack into that team, would they really improve that much? Not not really. Danilo, I think we'd probably raise it a little bit, um, uh, especially compared to, to to Dessa's. So um but but it's still probably too too certainly certainly much closer than what it should be. I mean, it's just ridiculous given the financial but you've also got to add in the fact that the rest of the league and and you know, how good do you need to be to beat this Hearts team? How good do you need to be to beat this Aberdeen team? You don't need to be terribly good, unfortunately. And therefore, even if even if there was a bigger quality gap between the two squads, the points gap wouldn't be very big because they're just simply not going to drop many points, uh, and, and uh, in in those not you know in those other games, and so you know unfortunately the risk from a from a spurious pen, you know becomes a real a real problem in a tight race like this. Mm.
0: So just before we finish up then as we move closer and closer to this i generally i'm i weirdly get more and more confident the closer we get to derby matches i don't know what that is maybe it's just until the uh, until the, the day family until family. the game game day yeah <laughs> until the first 20 minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we start giving the ball away at the edge of the box but uh, let's let's say look let's look at this from a positive perspective so we're looking at uh, you would argue that rangers would be happy with a point away from home at celtic park given the games in hand uh, the more defensive style of play that they played, the possession-based game that Celtic have, the fact that we're trending in the right direction. And I'll throw in Mr. Brennan Rogers, who has only lost one game against Rangers. Now, I will say he he did stat pack there for a little while in the uh, in the early parts of his Celtic career, given how bad Rangers were, but he has an average points per game against Rangers of 2.5. So... This is a guy that knows how to get a result in the derby. So, James, does that make you any more confident based on uh, previous? I know you literally said on this podcast that based on previous, you don't like to judge things, but I'm judging it on that. I'm going to say that it's going to be a better performance than uh, most people will probably be expecting from Celtic.
2: I, I think it informs. I, I you know, the past informs; it provides information. I, I just don't believe in kind of engineering. Uh, predictions. Um, That's
0: literally what I'm doing.
2: But well, well right. So I, I think <laughs> the the likelihood. So I, I'm I'm confident in the sense that um, we we have a competent manager. That's offset. I think they also have one now. And you know, who's a better manager between Clement and and Roger? I, who knows? I I have no clue. Um, but I think it's within range of one another that on any given day. Like they're going to do an intellectual battle and, and figure out the tactics. And again, to me, it's probably more around a coin flip on any single day and in any single game. So that, that's kind of where I, I think about that dynamic. Um, I I think it probably does uh, to our detriment um, because of the, the kind of the, the personnel, the way the squads line up and the style of play I'd rather Rangers want to have a go, so to speak, a little bit. Um, I, I, I think that would create more space, and where we are having, uh, you know, better um, chance creation is that kind of getting in behind with Maeda and, and Kyogo, and I think that'll likely continue to be in in this kind of game. So I'd, I'd actually be more worried if they are defensive and you know be bifurcated. I mean, I suspect they might do some high pressing because we have clear vulnerabilities in that regard. And they ha- they have the athletes and the coaching to make that at least uh, a, a a bit of a problem at times, and and then if that you know when they when they that isn't successful from their perspective that they drop back a little deeper and be more defensive that would concern me because of um you know a, a, to Allen's point you know you, you stick Sterling and Lundstrom in front of a back four and that that's a lot of kind of size and and um you know, defensive prowess that can, you know, create some issues for us, uh, particularly with Butlin. And the, the one addendum I'll add to what Alan said about uh, Butlin's profile is he, he's actually, uh, his shot stopping has been pretty good. Uh, it's the rest of his keeper play that has not been good. That's been offsetting that good shot stopping. So that, that's where I think if we make him move some, And again, that's the issue. If, if, if if there is that space and we can get in behind, I mean, I think he is more like Hart where he could pull, you know, really dumb decision and coming off his line and, you know, get a card for example, or clean out somebody, uh, because he's just not that dynamic coming off his line. Um, probably, probably not to the degree Hart is at this stage, but, um, so if we can move him a lot, but if, if it's basically, you know, a mini version of, of the weekend where they're organized and central and, you know, kind of letting our wings go at it uh, from wide and Butland's kind of nice and settled with the play in front of him. That to me, and then they can hit us on the counter because they do have the pace and the athleticism uh, to go long and hit players in the seams that that's kind of the, the, the tactical matchup that would concern me. Um, so again, back to I, i'm confident um because they do have injuries and i think just general squad quality is kind of in coin flip territory i think the managers in coin flip but it's a home game in this situation i shouldn't be in a coin flip situation i should be like brazenly confident mm. uh so that that's kind of where my head's at
0: two final bits of positivity alan before i bring you in for your predictions um the first is actually something in reacting to what James said in terms of the tactics. The last couple of derbies, at least, the thing that I found extraordinarily weird is that they've seemed to play into Celtics' hands quite a bit and done the opposite of what you would have thought they would do to try exploit Celtics' weaknesses And in, in that they just they didn't seem to try to hit it long over Greg Taylor. They didn't say, seem to try isolate or fallbacks. They... They just couldn't get a grips with Celtics midfield. They were given the ball away easily in their own half. And we saw the resulting Kyogo goal uh, that won the Derby um, last time. So like that's one piece of positivity. The second piece is that, and I've been quite critical of Brendan Rodgers this season, mainly due to Celtics league form. But in the Champions League, we got it pretty well. We were pretty well set up. And despite the league form being a bit stodgy, we seem to always be able to pull the performance up the level needed um, for the Champions League, despite the results, obviously. But we were quite unlucky with some of the games. So if I would say if Celtic play as well as they played in the Champions League, then they will win this game.
1: Well, you'd like to think. I mean, I, I slightly disagree with James actually on this and that I think it's very... My my experience tells me, and this is again looking back and it's less analytical in terms of stats-based and more... Um, Qualitative is that if you if you come and you're kind of thinking I'm going to be happy with a point here, it's actually a pretty dangerous mindset to be in in a game because what do you do if you go a goal down? Do you do you throw your game plan out the window and suddenly open up and then and then what happens? So whilst I think I think they are probably they're be, they're better equipped to do that to play that way than Celtic are. And we've seen this in Europe. They're far more effective in Europe than Celtic are of going to difficult away grounds and bunkering in and being difficult to break down. Uh, you know, we've historically not been good at that in the last God, well twenty years, probably, right? So, I think they're. They've got, and as James has said, they've got the players to do that. I just think it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game to play in a big game like this. If, you know, because Celtic it will be you know overwhelming amounts of possession, overwhelming amounts of control that Celtic will then have. And to your point, you know, we've talked about this whereby the last thing we want is people closing down Greg Taylor, closing down Hart, closing down scales, you know, putting a high press on, and they've not done that. And and I think if they did try and do that, that again that could open the game up for Celtic. If but it it could introduce risk, as we've said, because we're not got good players under pressure like that. But I think the quality that we've got, especially in midfield, technical quality, and the technical quality of Celtic's forward players is 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 superior it's the defense I'd worry about, which again is why I think if they come thinking right, we start with a point we're happy if we end with a point. I just think then we've got celtic's better players against probably their weaker players so um that, that and I think that would be an advantage to celtic and I, and again it's just a it's a difficult mindset. Especially if you go a goal down, you've got to suddenly flip, and, and what, what's your plan B? And can the players change their mentality? It's a really hard thing to do. I've seen I've seen this so many times over the years. So I, I think a point suits them, and I think they're in. I think it's in Clermont's nature to be quite, quite sort of uh, def- not defensive, but certainly conservative. Let's say. So um, I hope they do set up like that. Actually, I'm, I'm the opposite, Jed. I hope they do set up looking to kind of you know grind out a draw because I think that. I think, you know, I think if Celtic do get a goal, it'll be very difficult for them.
0: Let nobody ever complain about us being overly negative again, because that was an extremely positive couple <laughs> of minutes here on the Huddle Breakdown as we head towards the uh, second derby off the season this Saturday at half 12. Hopefully it ends up with uh, another Celtic victory, uh, because otherwise it will be really squeaky bum time now until the end of the season. Usually you can't lose more than three games in the league, and still go not, go on to win it. That's what um, the history of the past has, has shown. And um, Celtic are currently on two losses. So hopefully this, this weekend is uh, not going to be a third notch on the belt. Uh, that's where we'll park the show for this weekend. We will be back again next week with a review of the podcast. If you're new to the show, do be sure to hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube, or you can get the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts as well. Alan, thank you very much enjoy the show or Indeed. enjoy the game rather yes thank you Andrew. <laughs> enjoy the show as well uh, james thank you thank you and we shall chat to you next week until then good luck